0: I brought my lunch to church today. There's a reason why I brought my lunch to church today. I'm planning on preaching really long, and I figured if I brought my lunch today in the middle somewhere, I could, I could eat my lunch. I brought, I got a, I brought a hamburger from McDonald's. How many of you wish you could have this hamburger from McDonald's? Uh, The people who are honest do. It's a good hamburger. Let me see what's in this thing. It's a nice hamburger. Ooh, that's some It's kind of a plain hamburger. It's got pickles and tomatoes and ketchup on it. And it sounds good, doesn't it? Hamburgers sound good? I don't get why McDonald's doesn't serve hamburgers in the morning. The only lunch, only breakfast stuff, but a hamburger is awesome. And you know, I want to talk to you about hamburgers today. We talked about pigs. I want to talk to you about hamburgers today. And I'm probably not going to go to lunchtime, so I'm probably not going. I'm going to eat it after church. I want to tell you about this particular hamburger. It's a special hamburger because it's mine. I traded McDonald's one dollar and six cents for that hamburger. I drove them the drive-through. I told them what I wanted, and I made them a trade: dollar out of my wallet, six cents out of the cup holder in my van. You do the same things, right? A dollar and six cents for that hamburger. Now, do you think that was a fair trade? I do. was a fair trade. I didn't have to cook. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't even get out of the car. I just spoke to a box. And I, tried, and I pulled ahead to the window they told me to, and they handed me food. And I basically gave a couple of, you know, six pennies and a dollar. And I handed it to them, and I got a hamburger from McDonald's. Now, what I want to talk about today is what would I be willing to, to trade this hamburger for what would I what now it's mine, what would I be willing to trade this hamburger for maybe a, a clearer or a better way to think about it this is is this what would I be willing to gain by giving this hamburger away it's mine now. I gave them a dollar six we traded now it 's my hamburger. What would I be willing to gain to give somebody else's hamburger well if I, if I gave up enough hamburgers you know what I could, I could gain? I could gain a smaller waistline and lower cholesterol. I looked at, I told Suzanne yesterday, the summer, summer's people still usually lose weight. I gain weight. I said, I am becoming like that pig we're butchering. I'm like, oh, I'm so fat. You know, if I gave up hamburgers, I could gain a smaller waistline and lower cholesterol. And that's a good trade, right? That'd be a good trade. If I gave up hamburgers, that hamburger and and all hamburgers or most hamburgers, I could save some money. Because here's what I know about about food. Yesterday, Suzanne and I were shopping, and we we needed more peanut butter in the house. And I bought we bought a big old jar of generic Walmart peanut butter. We're generic kind of people, and uh, it was two dollars and some odd cents, two forty or so. Two what? (laughs) Two thirty nine. You want to know prices? Suzanne knows them. Two thirty nine. I know that I can make a bunch of sandwiches with that peanut butter. So I know this. I know that I could make a, a sandwich that's as big and has given me as much nutrition as I need um, for less than a dollar six. So I could save money if I traded that hamburger for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I could actually save money, and, and I think saving money is a nice thing. But what else? What if I told you that I could trade this hamburger for a stronger and a more blessed spiritual life? What if I told you I could trade in my McDonald's hamburger for a stronger and a more blessed spiritual life? Now that would definitely be worth the trade, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Well, in reality, we can trade hamburgers for stronger and more blessed spiritual lives. And I want to explain that to you today. Grab your Bibles if you would. And we're going to read three short sections of Scripture that I'm going to use to explain how we can trade hamburgers for stronger and more blessed spiritual lives. Open up to Matthew chapter 6 with me first. We're going to just read them one after another. Matthew chapter 6, and then we're going to talk about them individually. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16, just three verses. It says, whenever you fast... Do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they may be noticed by men when they are are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now flip over about 11 chapters to Matthew chapter 17. Read a little longer section here. Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 14. It says, When they came to to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. (laughs) I won't say anything. My kids are not. They are not. I thought about making a joke there, but I figured I shouldn't. Have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? You know what? He's really a—he's always so worried about being kind and tender, isn't he? (laughs) You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. We don't think of Jesus talking like that, but that's what the Word of God says. Verse 18, And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. In verse 21, now understand, if you're reading an NIV translation or New Living Translation, um, your verse 21 is in a footnote on the bottom of your page. Here it goes from 20 to 22. Verse 21. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now let's look at the Mark, Gospel of Mark. Where we've been walking through on a journey with Jesus through this Gospel of Mark. Chapter 2, where we left off last time. Verse 18. Mark chapter 2, verse 18. It says, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and said to him, him being Jesus, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to him, While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the patch pulls away from it and the new from the old and the worse tear results. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost in the skins as well. But one puts new wine into, new, into uh, fresh wineskins. Now, those three verses. Obviously, the common denominator of these three sections is fasting, right? talks about fasting. Well, maybe fasting is a concept that we're not all really familiar with. We're not really into things usually that make us give stuff up. But fasting is a biblical concept. Maybe it's a concept that we're not really familiar with. In our context this morning, fasting is simply this. It's choosing to not eat a hamburger and to instead spend that meal time with the Lord in worship and prayer and His Word. That's really what fasting is all about. It's the denial of certain foods, or all foods, for a period of time in order to give special attention to spiritual matters. And it's a discipline, a spiritual discipline that you will find throughout Scripture. God's holy people fasted. They took time when they didn't eat. They gave up the McDonald's hamburger in order to spend extra time with God. And not only in Christianity and Judaism, but in all major religions, you find this as a spiritual discipline that people use to connect more closely or try to connect more closely with God. Now, I made an incredibly bold statement a few minutes ago when I started the service. I said that we could trade in hamburgers for stronger and more blessed spiritual lives. That fasting can have some very real spiritual results. Now, we can be confident in something. We can be confident in making the statement that I made there because Scripture ties fasting to spiritual results. The Scriptures we just read all said that, didn't they? So you don't have the option of taking your penknife out and cutting those verses out of the Bible and say, I don't like those. The Bible ties fasting to spiritual results. Now, before we zero in on those results, and they're incredible results, First, what I want to do is I want to put fasting into a Christian context. I want to explain how fasting as well as other ceremonial practices of Old Testament Judaism were reinterpreted by Jesus because if we don't understand that, the verses of Mark don't make any sense. And I think it's really important for us to put these in in the right Christian context because in our walk with Jesus, there's something very interesting that can happen, especially as we walk with Him for a period of time that we can drift into religious legalism, just like the Old Testament people of Judaism did, and we can miss out on dynamic spirituality. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to have a dynamic, energized, real spiritual life. But what the people there had is they had rules and regulations, and they missed the dynamic of the reality of the Spirit. And Jesus wants us to have so much more. So let's start with the verses in Mark. Because they show us that when it comes to spiritual practices, that Jesus came on the scene and he says, I'm going to change everything. You see, Mark chapter 2, verse 18, tells us that John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees fasted. It just makes a statement. They fasted. They skipped cheeseburgers to, to pray and worship. There were times that they didn't walk through the McDonald's drive through or the walk-through of the day. Maybe there was a camel lane, I'm not sure. But they chose to not take the camel through the camel lane and get a cheeseburger because they were going to set time aside to be with the Lord. In fact, history tells us that by Jesus' time that the Pharisees who were really the the religious pace-setters for Judaism that they had decreed that godly people should fast twice every week. That every Monday and every Thursday that people should fast. So these Pharisees who are who are doing their best, I think, they're just misguided. They look at Jesus, they look at His disciples and they ask a question, they said, "Jesus, how come your followers don't fast?" And Jesus answers their question, and as he does, he gives them or gives us some foundational ideas about fasting. So let's reread his answer, verses 19 to 22. And remember this, I'm going to explain it to you, but remember this, this whole answer is tied to fasting. It's one answer that Jesus gives to a question about fasting. Because I bet you a lot of you have looked at 20 and 21 in the past and said, What in the world did that possibly mean? Well, today I'm hoping you're going to walk out and you're going to go, Oh, that's what that means. So Jesus gives his answer. Why, do you, why don't they fast? Verse 19, And Jesus said to them, While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth in an old garment, otherwise the patch pulls away from it. And the new from the old and a worse tear results. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost in the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. What's going on here? First of all, what Jesus does is he explains that, that although his disciples were not fasting at that, at that time, he says that for the reason, because they were celebrating with the bridegroom. Now who's the bridegroom? Jesus. They're celebrating with the bridegroom. Jesus has come on the scene. He's come to earth. And Understand something, friends. The world may have missed the significance of Jesus' coming, but it was the celebration of the century. Remember the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark. It says, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It says, that's who's come on the scene. Jesus, the Christ, the promised Messiah, the Son of God, has walked onto the, onto the streets of mankind to give himself for the forgiveness of their sins. And although the world may have missed the significance of that, Jesus didn't, and his disciples didn't, and so they're in party mode. The bridegroom is with them. They're, they're, having, a, they're having a feast, a wedding feast. However, Jesus looks down the road a few years and he says however when i'm taken away when the bridegroom's taken away reference to his death and resurrection and ascension he said then they would fast he says fasting is going to be on their going to be part of their life in the future but just not right now but it's interesting here he adds two verses then and it gives an explanation to take them beyond just that they will fast. And he begins to explain something about not only fasting, but about just the, the, the living out of the life of, of in, the, in the Spirit, the living out of a life with Christ. And he says it's going to be different. See, Jesus didn't stop by just simply saying that they would fast. That No, he adds these verses about patching clothes and putting wine into wineskins. And as I said a minute ago, some of you probably said, what's that have to do with it? I watch all kinds of heads say, yeah, what in the world does that have to do with it? It has everything to do with it. What's going on here? Jesus is giving an explanation. He's explaining that things are changing. That He came on the scene and He's changing everything. That as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He came to take people from the old system of rules and duties and laws and to bring them into something new. To bring them into a new relationship. Where he imparts righteousness to his followers, and we now live by grace. You see, the old tradition, the old laws, are, par- are, are put aside for something better. He says the new is incompatible with the old. He says it's like patching, putting, putting new wine into old skins. He said it doesn't work, it bursts. He says the old system, what you're used to in fasting and what you're used to in walking with me, is old, and that won't work for what I have now that's brand new. He says, you can't put the two together they are incompatible. He says, it's like a new patch on an old piece of material. It won't work. It's incompatible. And he's making a point. He says, yes, his followers will fast, but they will fast differently than the religious establishment of that day was doing. He said, it's different. It won't be about adhering to a bunch of rules and laws saying that, you know, if you are spiritual, then you're going to fast Monday and Thursdays. Just keeping a bunch of duties. He says, no, no. Now we don't fast because we have to. He said, they're going to fast because they want to. We want to do all we can do as followers of Christ to fan our spiritual lives into a flame. And friends, that's something that fasting can do for us. Some of you have never practiced it, and I'm telling you, you're missing something. Because fasting can be used of God to fan your spiritual life into a flame. And here's, here's, what, here's the first reason why. Because when we fast, here's what happens. We become keenly aware of the great energy that we place on satisfying our human flesh. We plan out, almost all of us, to eat three meals a day, don't we? Almost all of us. Some of you, you go on certain diets, you eat five meals a day. Little ones. To lose weight. Some of you skip meals. I skip them all the time. I almost never eat lunch. Which is not good for you. But we put a lot of energy into it. Ladies... Do we spend a ridiculous amount of time planning out eating in our lives? Y'all say yes. How much time do you spend going to pick and save? Too much. How much energy? Ladies, because primarily ladies are the ones who do this, let's not hide it. Do Do you get really tired when you spend like two hours making a meal and it's eaten in 15 minutes? And everybody walks out the door? And you go, come on! You know... We put a lot of energy into satisfying just this one need of our flesh. And it's a real need. We have to eat. Don't eat, you're going to die. We're created to eat. But we put an awful lot of energy, great energy, into satisfying our human flesh. And in comparison, we generally really do very little to satisfy and nourish our spiritual lives. We don't generally set a side time to pray three times a day. We don't. When was the last time one of your kids' moms ran up to you and said, I can't wait any longer. When is it prayer time? Has it ever happened? But how many of you can go through three days without one of your kids or your husband? Susanna always says she has three boys. Um, And I'm the chief boy saying, I'm starving. What are we eating? You know, you can't go through a couple days without that happening. We put a lot of energy into satisfying our flesh. But honestly, we don't generally put a lot of energy into satisfying our spiritual needs. This is why fasting was instructed by the Lord. You need to hear this point. If you don't get this, you'll never get the the point of fasting. Fasting helps us to focus more attention on the development of our spiritual lives and intimacy with God by revealing to us how our flesh dominates our spirit so that we can choose to focus more on spiritual matters. When we fast, we realize, when I don't go, you know, I've done many extended fasts, you know, 21-day fasts, and in those long fasts, you just are like, I'll kill for a cheeseburger. And you realize how dominant your flesh is and you realize you never say, I'll kill, to go to prayer Sunday night, the second, second Sunday of the month. Oh, something else is coming up. I'll just do that instead. Correct? Oh, It's quiet. We don't like to hear that. But it's true. It's why God designed fasting for us. Because fasting causes us to see that the flesh dominates our spirit. And so then we have to choose to focus more on spiritual matters. Fasting is a flesh revealer. You know, And as such, when it reveals how strong our flesh is, it can then be an aid to helping us to tame our flesh and nurture our spirit. It's not until we realize that things are out of balance that we can adjust it. Fasting helps us see that things can be out of balance. That we're putting all this energy into satisfying our flesh, and the greatest flesh need is food and water. And we say, when that need's not being met, my flesh is screaming out, we recognize my flesh dominates. And so fasting reveals it and we go, holy cow, my life is out of balance. It's all about feeding the flesh. And you know what? If I skip doing what I know I need to do to satisfy my spirit, I really don't care that much because I don't, feel, I don't hear the cry of it. Does that make sense? We don't see things are out of balance until we deny the flesh and realize how loud it cries. And It cries. When you, flat, when you fast. Matter of fact, you don't have to do long fasts. I think there's some benefit in long fasts. But I think it's often for me, for this one point of fasting, the most beneficial fast is about a 24-hour fast. 24-hour to 48-hour fast. You know why? Because after two days, you're not hungry anymore. After two days, when you can't live without your cup of coffee in the morning... Your head is splitting open. It starts going away after two days. You realize how you have addicted yourself to sugar and caffeine and all this stuff. And it's the first two days when all that happens. So I find that, that fasting is by far the worst the first 48 hours. And some of you say, I would never fast. I wouldn't give a coffee. I'm telling you, or, or sweets or whatever else. I'm telling you, you need to for two reasons number one you need to realize that you're, you satisfy your flesh way up here and you can all just overlook your spirit things so you oh I don't want to really see the truth though or number two you realize you're addicted to stuff and God doesn't want us addicted to anything and you say I need to make a change Does that makes sense? so fasting is a revealer it's a fasting is a flesh revealer now that's kind of the, the good news and the bad news all rolled up into one Let's now look at the other two texts that we read today and see some of the rewards from fasting. And really, this is a reward. What we just talked about is a reward. But let's look at some that the Lord just says, this is a reward. Look at the Matthew 6 text. Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, it tells us, that it just says it this way, the Father rewards us, for fasting. Look at verse 18. It says, So that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. How does He reward us? How does the Father reward First of all, is, is God's Word true? Do you believe it? Does it say without any doubt that if we fast, the Father sees what we do and He will reward us? Correct? If I said any other thing probably in the whole Bible and I said, if you do this, you will get rewarded. If I said, if you, I don't know, read three chapters today, God will reward you. We would all read three chapters a day. This says right here, if you fast you will get rewarded. Now, how does he reward us? If we skip a hamburger, does he give us an ice cream cone instead? He said, you got to skip the hamburger, that 49-cent cone, man. (sighs) McDonald's has got it all. Do we... Is that what he does? Is that the reward? No. He is something incredibly better for us than a 49-cent ice cream cone from McDonald's. Church, the real reward that God offers to us is himself. That's what he wants us to see here. Look at verse 18. He says, So that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He says our Father is in secret. And that he functions in secret. And that when we are in secret, here's the key, that we are then with him that when we do things in secret for Him that He told us to do, and He dwells in secretism, it says, your NIV say it's, He is unseen, that then he, we are with Him in a unique way. That He becomes our reward. That we get to know Him and we get to hear our voice, His voice for ourselves. You know what the greatest gift you can have? Is to not hear about something like this from me. But for you to be reading the text yourself and all of a sudden God speaks to you, that's a reward because God is real to you then. And you go, oh my goodness, this isn't dead, empty religion. This is vital, real, alive spirituality. God actually talks to me, He becomes our reward. You know, catch this, church. God wants us, and earlier in chapter, uh, in Matthew, there, it says, God wants us to practice our righteousness. That's what fasting is part of. In such a way that it is noticed by Him. That it's for His blessing. It's just between the two of you. It's in private. It's a private matter. Between God and His child. He says, so that when you fast, He says, don't look pathetic. Don't look like you're all starving and tell everybody you're fasting. He says, conceal it. It's just between you and God. You're doing it for Him and no one else. He says the same thing about prayer. He says, when you pray, go into your prayer closet and just shut the door and just talk to your father alone who's in secret. And he says he'll reward you if you do it in secret. Church, God is in secret. He's in the secret place. And he wants to bless us with intimacy as we turn our attention away from the praises of people, away from the, uh, the, the, the cry of the flesh, and we listen for his applause alone. Your father who sees in secret will reward you we'll see what is done and he'll reward you that's a pretty that's a pretty powerful statement he gives us himself when we put satisfying our flesh behind growing spiritually and there's no greater blessing that's worth giving up a few cheap hamburgers for isn't it Isn't that worth giving up a few hamburgers? Put it in the right context. That's really what he's saying. If you give up a few hamburgers and spend time with me, I'll give you myself. That's worth it. People come to me constantly. For 20 years as a pastor, how do I get to know God? God says I'm right here. Just do the right things. He says give up a few hamburgers, spend a few lunch hours with me, just spending time with me and I will make myself known to you in the secret place. That's worth it. Now... Let's look at one more thing that's uh, the, the reward that comes from fasting. Look at Matthew 17. We're going to look at that one verse that some of you have footnoted. And that's simply because scholars try to look at how it was translated and what was included where, and, and there's some controversy over uh, does it really fit and where does it really fit. And so they footnote it and say, yeah, it's really in, in a lot of texts, but not in all of them, so we're just going to footnote it and put it on the bottom. But he's telling the story here of this, of this demonic boy who can't be set free by the disciples, and Jesus comes up and he speaks harshly. He says, I'm tired of you. <laughs> you have no faith. And he casts the demon out of the kid, and the kid's better. And they say, how come? And he says, because of your little face, and then verse 21 he says, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. See what Jesus is doing here? Jesus ties spiritual empowerment to prayer with fasting. And you say, why? Well, church, I think primarily it has to do with taking spiritual matters seriously. When someone fasts, they are telling God that they are serious about their spiritual life. They're saying, I'm going to actually do something to make my spiritual life better. I'm going to do something to to put aside the things that, that keep me from growing and I'm going to do something to encourage my growth and my connectedness to you. And friends, I'll tell you something. God responds to that type of seriousness. That's the type of seriousness we looked at a few weeks ago that the four friends of the paralyzed guy had when they said, we can't get to see Jesus and they went up and they ripped the roof off the house and they stuck the guy in front of Jesus' face. They were serious about it. And Jesus responded to their seriousness by healing Him. Friends, understand the Lord responds powerfully when we get serious about our walk with Him. If we're nonchalant towards Him, I'll tell you this, you'll be rendered powerless. If you have a nonchalant attitude towards the things of God, you will look at other people and say, how come God does all these things through them? But it never happens through me. I will tell you why. Because you're nonchalant towards the things of God. But God says get serious. He says be serious about the things of God. And if you're serious about them, He delights in responding to our lives. Friends, fasting is a way to ramp up our seriousness. It's a way in the flesh we can do something that makes it obvious that we are serious about the things of God. You want to know something, church? We have a lot to be serious about. You know what people have told me about my life? Mark, you're just too serious. Some of you have thought that about me. Some of you have said it. I am. But we have a lot to be serious about. Every day, everywhere around us, people are lost without Jesus, and that is serious. I maybe told you something that someone said to me one time, and might be, if, so, if I said it before, you'll. and it's not for somebody from here. Just forgive me for repeating it. But I was at a men's retreat with a group of leader men from the church I was serving, not this church. And one of the men literally said to me, out of his mouth it came and I heard it. He said, Pastor Mark, I don't care about those starving people in Africa. He literally said it. He said, I care about people in my community. I don't really care about the people in Africa. And this is what I would say to anybody who feels like that: Skip a few meals and just simply ask God, what do you think about lost people in Africa? And you know what begins to happen? Your seriousness begins to get ramped up because God cares about dying people in Africa. When it came to taking an offering today i 'm this has nothing to do with the offering, um, but when it came to the offering today, you know why we did it, we simply said there 's a huge need, and we know we 're inundated with opportunities to give all the time. And so we discussed them all, is it the right time to to just make a need known? And we simply said, if we care, how can we not at least give people an opportunity? You know why? Because it's serious that people in Africa and that people in Ozaukee County and Washington County and Sheboygan County every day are lost without Jesus. It's serious. Every day, everywhere, friends, around us, people are suffering and in need of healing and in need of provision and that is serious. One week from today, some of you will be bringing your lost family and needy friends and family to our church annual picnic. And we look at it like, oh, it's a wonderful, fun time. I want to tell you what, it's an incredibly serious time. We get prayer requests every week. Thank you for those who say staff pray for us we do we pray they write them on, on the cards and a bulletin tear them off put them in offering and we pray for them we've been getting been praying for one in particular lately a, a person from our congregation who says I'm bringing my family members who are lost to the church picnic first of all pray that they'll come one has cancer they don't know the Lord please pray week after week after week we've been praying and the report is they're going to come that's serious that's not saying come and eat some pig with me. That's saying, you know what? Come and come to this. I've got an excuse to bring you. But the real reason I want you to come is I want you to encounter the reality of God because I know that my family members without Jesus are suffering and they're hurting and one has cancer and they need to be healed by God. It's serious business. And church, understand something. We need spiritual empowerment. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit. To see people saved and healed next week and every week. It's serious business. God says get serious. He says one of the ways you get serious is you, you skip a hamburger. Take that time. Go sit out in your car at work and, and just talk to God. And ask Him that next week. Those people who are inviting people. That, that, that heaven and earth changes the history of that family. And those people respond and instead of making excuses, They come. And they hear the message and they come to Christ and their entire family lineage is transformed because of Jesus. That's serious business. We should be serious about it. I'm all for fun. You know me. I love to have fun. But you know what? Underlying every person who really walks with God needs to be a seriousness that says, yeah, there's a place for fun and I want to have it. But God says, get serious about my, about my kingdom work. Because this is what he says, if you're not serious, if you're nonchalant, nothing's going to happen. He doesn't respond. Church, we need the spiritual empowerment of the Holy Spirit in everything that we do. And he just calls us. He says one of the ways to get serious is to fast and pray. Here's my question in closing. This week, will you trade in a few hamburgers for extra time with the Lord to ask him to save and to heal people next Sunday? Will you do that? Trade in a few cheeseburgers. A buck six. Trade it in. Say it's worth the trade. I'm going to give that up and spend some extra time with God. Because Scripture plainly teaches that if we will fast and pray, that He will respond and He will empower us. The question simply is, here's the question always God gives us, will we simply do what He tells us to do? Would you stand with me this morning?